major crime investigators arrested the driver of the semi-trailer unit. The truck driver involved in the deadly bus crash involving the Humboldt Broncos hockey team now facing 29 charges. Mysterious disappearance. His loss has shaken us to the core. The wife of a missing Vancouver Island man makes an impassioned plea for information. And caught on video, a dramatically close call between a cyclist in a bike lane and a tanker truck. Who's at fault? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. After an exhaustive three-month investigation, a Calgary truck driver is facing 29 charges in the deadly Humboldt Broncos crash. 16 people on the bus were killed, 13 others injured. Tonight, what RCMP are revealing about the investigation and what the seriousness of the charges may indicate about the case. 20 full-time RCMP personnel, plus 100 other experts, photographed, measured, and analyzed everything they could relating to that horrific collision. Then three months to the day, 29-year-old Jaskreet Singh Sidhu of Calgary, the driver of the semi that collided with the bus, has been charged with 16 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death and 13 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily harm. They are serious criminal offenses suggesting police have found significant evidence. The prosecution has to prove that the conduct of the driver was a marked departure from the standard of a reasonably prudent driver. Most of us have accidentally run a stop sign at one point, so a minor moment of inattention is probably not the foundation of this case. The circumstances of this, of, sim of simply driving through a stop sign, are a bit different. Uh, again, there's provincial traffic uh, offenses available for that. It's the circumstances of the evidence and the investigation and our consultation with Crown that led us to laying criminal charges in this case. And the fact the trucking company has not been charged is also telling. Sidhu had only two weeks of training and had been on the job for about a month. Criminal charges could lead to time in prison. In these types of cases, the potential jail sentence that a person could be facing could be easily up to 10 years. Um, and in particular, where there are multiple deaths, it's possible to see jail sentences stacked on top of each other. We've looked at every aspect of the collision, including the speed of the vehicles, point of impact, position of the vehicles, impairment, road and weather conditions, and witness evidence. The Humboldt Broncos hockey team in a statement said, our organization has faith in the justice system and we will be watching closely as this court process plays out. Sidhu is now in custody and will make his first court appearance in Saskatchewan next week. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Surrey RCMP are asking for the public's help in connection with a suspicious occurrence yesterday morning in the Wally City Centre area. Witnesses say they observed a woman being forcibly confined in a small black car in the area of 108th Avenue and King George Boulevard. Today, police are identifying the woman as a 40-year-old Trina Bird. They're also looking for 41-year-old Terrence Desnomi and a black 2015 Nissan Versa with BC license plate FE230D. These uh, two individuals are known to each other. We won't be releasing um, how they are known or what the relationship is between them. But we are concerned for uh, Trina Bird's safety and well-being and uh, would like you know, public assistance in helping us locate her. Anyone with information about this incident is asked to call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. 
Sex assault is an ongoing issue on public transit and one that's often underreported. Today, in an effort to stop offenders, Metro Vancouver Transit Police rolled out phase three of its safety program. Jill Bennett joins us with more on what it entails. And Jill, while this is good news, there are concerns measures already in place may not be as effective as they could be. There are, and Last year, 264 reports of sexual offenses were made on the transit system, but transit police say that number is actually much higher in that only 5 to 10 percent of the offenses are being reported, and that's despite this ongoing and increased education campaign. When passengers get on a bus in Metro Vancouver now, there is a good chance they will see some of the 300 new ads, all part of Phase 3 of the Transit Police anti-sex offense campaign. I would never have thought that we would have a poster that actually revealed the truth about a problem and sought to address that problem, sexual offending on public transportation. Lepard says women and female students are often targeted on public transit, inappropriately touched, groped, or pressed up against by a man taking advantage of a crowded area. We know that sex offending is the most underreported crime out there. Maybe 5 to 10% are reported. So we actually would be happy to see the number of reports going up. There have been arrests after gropings and assaults on public transit and investigations after women have been followed home from stations. In 2013, transit police started bringing in various strategies to combat sexual offenses. The first posters installed in 2016 and for years transit riders have been able to discreetly text for help if they witness harassment. But not everybody got that message. Do you know what number to text to get transit police involved? I don't know. I don't actually. No, I don't actually. That's why there will be more visual reminders, not only on buses, but also platforms and bus stops. Phase three also moves beyond focusing on offenders. We know that so many sexual offenses are witnessed by a bystander. And this campaign is one of the first of its kind to target bystanders. The most powerful thing you can do is anonymously get on your phone and text us at 8 and 5 sevens. Well, Jill, what about having a more visible police presence on the platforms and on the trains? Is that something being considered right now? We asked Chief Lepard that. He did say that the transit force has added 16 officers. Uh, he said they've also expanded the general investigations unit from four days to seven, and that they do focus and have those uniformed officers on the higher traffic areas like this station and places where they do get those reports to try and stop these offenses before they happen. And All right. Thanks for the update, Jill. Jill Bennett reporting tonight in Vancouver. An emotional appeal today from the wife of a Cowichan man. Ben Kilmer disappeared under mysterious circumstances almost two months ago. Kylie Stanton has more on what police are saying about the case and how his wife says the public can help. He is our everything, the core of our family. Through all of the tears, there's just one message. Find Ben Kilmer. It's the same three words this wife and mother has been repeating over and over since the disappearance of her husband on May 16th. The 41-year-old Cobble Hill man's work van was found parked along Cowichan Lake Road that day, with the engine still running. Blood was later found in the vehicle and in a treat area nearby. 
But despite a massive search involving multiple teams and the RCMP, there's been no further trace of the father of two. Instead, just his picture plastered up and down Vancouver Island. Today, it was his wife's turn to step in front of the cameras, pleading for the public's help. His loss has shaken us to the core, and I need our love to shake you also, so that no one remains silent. One thing that hasn't kept quiet is the rumor mill. The family has had to deal with misinformation and speculation, all making its way onto social media. On Thursday, they released a statement saying we also wish to address a number of false rumors that have circulated over the past week, suggesting that Ben had been found or that his whereabouts is known. These statements are all false. Ben remains missing and we continue to search for him. There's a big impact on the family who's already, you know, dealing with a lot. Police did put one theory to rest, confirming at this point there's no indication Kilmer's case is in any way connected to the disappearance of the two men who went missing the same day and were later found dead near Euclid. Still, tips are coming in, and while there is no update at this time, just one piece of evidence could make all the difference. If somebody has information, even if they might feel that it's insignificant, we're still asking them to bring that information forward. For now, all Tanya can do is wait, holding on to hope and her memories. We said to each other over and over, we are going to show our kids this world together. Without her husband, that world is broken. And without answers, it's been turned upside down. And this just doesn't make sense. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. The group known as High on Life is sharing a video message in honor of the three members killed at Shannon Falls this week. Hello, friends and family. On July 3rd, 2018, we lost three very dear friends of ours, Riker Gamble, Alexi Lyak, and Megan Scraper. There are truly the trio no were known for creating video content for the group showcasing their adventures around the world, earning thousands of followers on social media. Their friends held back tears as they paid tribute to their fellow thrill seekers, including reading a passage on living life in the moment, written by Riker and Alexi. What makes you tick? What makes you feel awe? Don't be misled into thinking that you're supposed to do anything. You're supposed to do only what you choose to do. The world is vast and full of possibilities. Follow your bliss. Get out of your comfort zone. Stop looking for reasons why you can't. and Start looking for reasons why you can. The group closed by asking the public to respect their privacy as they grieve the deaths of their friends. Vancouver's newest social housing development is now open. The 12-story Belcourt residence is located at 947 East Hastings in Vancouver's Strathcona neighborhood. The new homes will be geared towards low to moderate in, uh, income individuals and families with 70 new units of social housing. We're really happy to see 24 homes here at welfare rates, at shelter rates, which is that really core need for uh, people when we see uh, so little of that being created for so many years. The mixed-use development is a joint venture of the City, Wall Financial and the Lookout Housing and Health Society. The province is doubling the amount of money available for new licensed child care spaces in B.C. $221 million will be doled out over three years, available to private sector, non-profit and public sector child care providers. It's meant to spur the creation of 22,000 new child care spaces. 
Funding preference will be given to communities with the greatest needs, such as fast-developing urban centers and indigenous rural and remote communities. It's only been a few days since a full closure went into effect along a stretch of First Avenue as Fortis upgrades its gas line. But tonight, we're already hearing from businesses who say they might have to close their doors. Nadia Stewart spoke with these businesses. And Nadia, how bad is it? Yeah, at least one business says traffic has been down by about 50% every day this week. And if that keeps up, they say it will no doubt affect their bottom line. Business has been slow at Cassia Bakery this week, with fewer customers coming in ever since construction on a Fortis BC gas line closed East First Avenue at Commercial Drive. Usually we have 50, 60 customers per day, and yesterday just four. Usually we bake all day because we need to keep all products fresh, and now I just bake a few products in the morning. That's it. Next door at Red Burrito, they too are dealing with a drop in foot traffic. People used to come, regular customers, and pack in the parking in the in the parking lot in the back. But yeah, they cannot do that anymore. I believe that's why we are having uh, at least 50% down in the sales. Both businesses are raising concerns about the impact this could have on their bottom line, especially since it's still early days in this summer-long closure. East First Avenue will remain closed from Clark Drive to Nanaimo Street until August 1st. Bad news for small businesses who resorted to cutting staff hours to make up for the shortfall. Well, you have to spend a lot of money in um, making this business keep going. Also, the prices keep the same, uh, sometimes even higher. But I'm, I'm expecting that it's going to be a lot of damage because of that in the next week. Fortis BC did not respond to our request for an interview on Friday. In the past, Fortis has said they are working to support businesses along the affected route. But Darante says her bakery will need a lot of help if they're going to survive this summer. I'm a little bit worried about my job because I work here full time. And I don't know if the business going doing like this, they close the store until they finish the construction. Cassia Bake Shop says they'll be making a decision next week about whether or not to close for the summer. Red Burrito is hoping it doesn't come to that, but they do know business will be tight until construction is over. Back to you, NNJ. Tragedy in Thailand. A diver dies as officials warn there's limited time left for a rescue later on the news hour. And caught on video, a blowing dust storm snarls traffic and makes a city disappear. Where this happened, still ahead. Some heart-stopping dash cam video tonight that shows a cyclist in Vancouver riding in a marked bike lane almost run over by a huge tanker truck. As Jennifer Palma tells us, cycling advocates say it's just one example of the hazards they face almost every day. Oh my God. That's awful. Disbelief and shock, the overall emotions watching this cringe-worthy video. That's a... Um a violation right there. The video was taken Wednesday just before 6 p.m. along Rupert Street before Grandview in Vancouver. There's a newer marked bike lane and most agree the driver is mainly at fault, but they're not giving the cyclist a pass. Both cyclists and drivers have to take, you know, one another's precautions and give them, you know, as much space as they can. 
The dash cam video shows the cyclist riding alongside the fuel tanker when the driver signals to turn right into a gas station. They apparently don't see the cyclist who jumps off of the bike. Hub Cycling says drivers need to be aware. The cyclist was in a marked lane and therefore has the right of way. The truck crossed the, the line into the next lane to make their turn. So the, the truck was in the wrong there. But as I say, it, 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 we advise all cyclists to watch out at all times to make sure that uh, uh, they're keeping themselves as safe as possible. Dave Earl with the BC Trucking Association says his heart was in his throat watching the video. He adds the trucker signaled for several seconds before turning as a warning, but it wasn't enough. They are built so they don't have blind spots. The mirrors are adjusted so they don't have them. And I mean, you've seen them on large commercial vehicles. They're large mirrors and they also have a convex mirror built into part of it to give that driver that extra area of detail in view. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but that's certainly standard protocol is for that driver to check his mirror every time that they make that turn. The cyclist was able to get out of the way in time. That's more than can be said for their bike. Vancouver police say they're not aware of the incident, and the city says it's not planning to further protect the bike lane, but all sides agree whoever uses the road to keep an eye out. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Welcome back. For the second day in a row, police teams have found human remains on a property where accused serial killer Bruce MacArthur worked as a landscaper. As Global's Catherine McDonald reports, police are hoping the remains will lead to an eighth murder charge. In the wooded ravine just below the property where alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur used to store his landscaping tools, this slow and meticulous work being done by dozens of officers sifting through dirt and debris is definitely proving to be worthwhile. There were more remains found yesterday. I can confirm that uh, today. It's the second time they found human remains here in just two days, located in this compost pile in the same area where investigators say human remains were discovered on Wednesday. What was your reaction when you learned that they had found even more? Not, not as much of a surprise. Obviously, once we stumbled upon the, uh, the first remains, it wasn't a surprise that we would find more. As the digging and sifting continued on day three, Detective Sergeant Hank Zinga says the cadaver dogs are telling investigators where to look. They dig and then they send the dogs through. And if the dogs continue to uh, show signs of decomposition, they'll dig again and they'll keep digging until those, uh, those dogs aren't reacting anymore. Sergeant Derek O'Day is the handler for Major, one of two cadaver dogs who's working the ravine behind Mallory Crescent. For Major to finally get rewarded at an area, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting for me. It's exciting for the dog, obviously. It's exciting for the investigators to see actually the dog actually do his job. Godet says Major is trained in sniffing out the odor of human decomposition, and that's not all he can smell. The more that I bring Major down and the more digging that goes on, the more he's just going to say, hey, there's something everywhere here. The human remains found this week will be taken in for an autopsy on Monday. Police hopeful they match those of Majid Kahan, the only alleged victim whose remains have yet to be found. The other seven men MacArthur is charged with murdering have already been found buried in planters on the property just above the ravine. A somber memorial today in Quebec to mark the five-year anniversary of a tragedy that killed 47 people. Church bells ring to remember the residents of Lac Megantic who lost their lives when a runaway tanker train barreled into the city and exploded. The town has been slowly rebuilding since the derailment, but many residents are still suffering from post-traumatic stress. The ceremonies are focusing on the future and the town's children, who played a big part in today's service. The death toll in Quebec from this week's heat wave is now at least 50. Officials say the majority were older men living alone in Montreal. 
The city had put emergency measures in place, including checking on residents with health conditions and without air conditioning. Temperatures have been topping 40 degrees with the Humidex, but forecasters are expecting cooler conditions over the next few days. A blinding wall of dust known as a haboob blows through Phoenix, Arizona, closing roads and temporarily knocking out power. Officials warn people to stay indoors as temperatures reached a scorching 46 degrees. That's hot. Well, there's been a tragic death of an expert diver during the mission to rescue that boy's soccer team trapped in a cave in Thailand. And now officials are reconsidering their plans to bring them out immediately. The concerns now, monsoon rains that could undo all of the work that's been done pumping water out of the cave and dropping oxygen levels inside the cave. It was dangerous, it's now deadly. This video of the cave complex was taken just hours before a diver died here. His fellow rescuers up to their neck in water, clinging to ropes, clearing a path to the trapped boys. The diver, former Thai Navy SEAL Saman Gunan, was putting oxygen tanks along the exit route when he ran out of air. We will bring the kids home, he'd said, as he left to volunteer. This, his last Instagram post with fellow rescuers. Morale is great, he wrote. His fellow divers told me they won't stop. It affects you that somebody died in there, so, uh, but I'm still positive. If an expert diver died, what about these boys, the youngest 11, getting diving lessons now for a six-hour trek through a death trap? And they now face a new threat from their rescuers. There are so many divers in the caves, oxygen levels are falling. Two boys getting weaker, says the commander. Oxygen lines being rushed in. They are now working 24-7 here because the clock's against them. And commanders are now ready to risk an emergency rescue rather than leave the boys to the mercy of monsoon floods. We can't wait for perfect conditions, he says. This is what lies ahead for the boys. It's hard to imagine a weakened 11-year-old wading through this. The divers pray they know the risks. The boys may have to take them soon. A piece of American and Canadian history goes up in flames on the Detroit River. Fire destroyed the SS St. Clair, a much-beloved passenger steamer that for more than 80 years carried children and their parents from Detroit down the river to the Boblo Island Amusement Park in Ontario. The park closed in the early 90s and an American collector was hoping to restore the ship to its former glory. No word on what started the fire. A traditional firework kicks off the annual madness known as the running of the bulls in Pamplona. The Chupinazo signals the official start of the nine-day festival. The thousands gathered in the square below spray each other with wine, staining their traditional white attire. The running of the bulls draws about a million visitors every year. The first run goes tomorrow. In health news tonight, the B.C. government is injecting money into an organization that works to save young lives. Victoria is giving $200,000 to the Dan's Legacy Foundation, named after a young man who lost his battle with addiction. Global's Julia Foy spoke to one young woman who says she's alive today because of the program. 
I started having suicidal thoughts at the age of seven. That's grade one. 24-year-old Kaylee is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, drugs, and crippling depression. She credits a little organization in New Westminster called Dan's Legacy Foundation. At probably 11 years old, I didn't think I'd make it to my 20s. And to be here now, I'm astonished. A native drumming circle welcomes supporters of Dan's legacy, which is named after a 19-year-old man who committed suicide after suffering from abuse. The provincial minister for mental health and addictions announced new funding to help the organization grow. So I am thrilled to announce that our government is providing a grant of $200,000 to Dan's Legacy Foundation to support the addition of four new therapists. Dan's Legacy Foundation, along with Aunt Leah's Place, provide wraparound services to youth with a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and life skills programs. The new money means the number of clients who can be helped will double from 125 to 250. We know that trauma, if it's not resolved when they're 15 to 25, somewhere in there, it will probably lead to addiction, if not, or anxiety or depression, suicide. Kaylee says she knows how close she came to dying. I am beyond thankful. There's no words to describe what Dan's legacy has done for me, other than that they saved my life. Julia Foy, Global News. Premier John Horgan and Health Minister Adrian Dix in Duncan on Vancouver Island today announcing a new hospital for the Cowichan Valley. The new health care centre will be triple the size of the current Cowichan District Hospital and is expected to open in 2024. Welcome back. UBC researchers have made a new discovery that could revolutionize the development of solar power. As Linda Aylesworth reports, while their technology is in the early stages, it's showing signs of working even under cloudy skies. There's a saying, when one door closes, another door opens. That is as true in science as anywhere. The research program that, that we are leading in my lab, it essentially started off with uh, trying to engineer bacteria to produce interesting molecules. What these UBC researchers ended up with was E. coli bacteria that produces lycopene. It's the molecule that makes vegetables red and is of significant value as a nutraceutical with anti-cancer properties. And when you start producing copious quantities of lycopene, you then run into another challenge is how do you effectively store it so that it can be used. Storage, however, was a problem. It kept degrading. But why? When we dug up a little literature, it was very clear that you, you store it in normal transparent bottles because of exposure to light. Lycopene is excited by light, it degrades. By degrades, he means that exposure to light made the lycopene release electrons, energy. Maybe this wasn't a problem. Maybe it was an opportunity. We came up with this idea is why not to use the degradation itself? Like why not to harvest that energy and use it for something else? It works with less light is because the energy required to excite lycopene is significantly lower than the energy required to excite an organic solar cell. Which means it could, with more research and finessing, be far more efficient in low-light areas, like places with more than their fair share of cloudy days. You should never come in with a closed mind uh, when you come to research and always trust uh, serendipity. And it, it throws out some remarkable results. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It'll be freezing to death. 
A Washington state family finds a deer in distress south of Victoria. Their rescue attempt right after the forecast. Well, uh, still a ways off from mini donuts and... It's just around the corner. Deep fried Mars bars. And I can taste you it. You can taste it just hearing <laughs> it, right? Yes. But there is still a buzz at the P&E going on right now. And Christy Gordon has all the details on it tonight. What's going on down there, Christy? Well, you guys, this is a pretty nice way to spend a Friday evening. We are at the Uncorked event, which is a preview of the Peony Prize Home. Ten lucky global viewers and their guests were part of a contest on Global News, and they won a sneak preview of the Prize Home. And not only that, an amazing Inniskillen wine tasting. So it is a great night down here. We're going to be showing you a little bit more about this year's spectacular Prize Home, which, by the way, includes... An elevator. We'll show you more about that in a second, but we had a massive thunderstorm that rolled across western sections just about an hour ago, hitting the airport, and we have reports of some delays in the area. Now, the thunderstorm has rolled north, but there still could be some uh, some damage because of the damage in that, uh, still some delays at the airport, so make sure you check in with the airport before heading out if you're traveling. Now, across the region, we still do have a risk of thunderstorms into the evening hours. We're not in the clear and you can see the wide uh, range of these uh, thunderstorms right across the region. One area in Sayward getting hit through many hours this afternoon with uh, hail and massive downpours and we are still expecting waves of rain overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow. Meanwhile, inland, th severe thunderstorm watches going on. Boundary, West Kootenai, Columbia region, Caribou, Central Interior. We will let you know if these th thunderstorms become severe at this point. You can expect non-severe ones, but still very gusty winds with some gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour. Now, tomorrow, the bulk of the action will be up through the northern regions with a risk of thunderstorms through those regions, especially the central interior tomorrow. Across the south, a little bit lighter, except for the Columbia region. That's where you will see a number of showers and still a th uh, risk of thunderstorms. Now, for the south coast region, very unsettled, especially through the morning. By the afternoon, conditions ease off to just a chance of showers, the best day over the weekend will be on Sunday. I want to introduce you to two very lucky winners of the Uncorked event. This is Serena and Steve. Now tell me, when you found out that you won the prize, how excited were you to see the prize home? We were so excited because we love the prize home. Do you go and see it every year, Steve? I do. And it was even more exciting this year because we were going into a new home ourselves. Uh, your new home, you mean? Our new home, yes. <laughs> exactly. One thing I wanted to mention is actually is that tonight, one lucky winner out of the group of you will be drawing um, for, I think you get 500 tickets to go in the draw. Yes, that's correct. And it's so exciting. We really hope we win. What's your favorite part of the house? The master suite. It's incredible. You've got the bathroom, the huge bathroom, the huge bedroom, and a deck that's going to look over Okanagan Lake. It's incredible. And yours, Steve? It's the wine rack. I just wish the rack could be on the deck. <laughs> that sure would be nice. All right, so you can also get your tickets at peonyprizehome.ca. Enjoy the wine and the tour, and I'll throw it back to you guys now. Oh, I'm jealous. Thanks for that, Chrissy. It looks gorgeous. It's the little things like the wine rack, And right? I love the big bathroom. It's nice. And the big a, things as well. I hear there's a yoga studio as well. Oh, well, then it has Got everything it you need, right? <laughs> what more could you ask for? Well, a Washington state family sitting outside their home on Camano Island, just south of Victoria, watched as a baby deer jumped into the ocean and quickly got into trouble. Chuck, you get the towel ready. I got the towels ready. 
So they jumped into their boat and raced after it. Just as the deer's head began going under, they got to the animal and pulled it to safety. Oh, got him. Oh, God. Yeah, that's good work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good work, Captain. Give him a little, give him, show me his little face. How is he? He's good. Oh, all good. The deer calmed down once they had wrapped it up Aww. and they got back to shore and released it back nope. into the forest. So adorable. Great rescue operation there. Quick thinking and the deer is okay. Deers Amazing. are meant for prancing, not for swimming. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Case in point, right? going back to the forest. So there. much uh, more gallant and beautiful. Exactly. Prance, exactly. The swimming they need. More. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little hockey yeah. here. Alex Burrow is calling it quits. You know, he sure did score some uh, big goals in his time as a Canuck. You might remember this one from 2011. Cam Hughes dumped the puck back in. Cam Poli trying to clear it. Burrow shoots! Scores! Welcome back. Barry joins us now with sports. And for a guy who worked his way up from the East Coast League, I yeah. mean, it's a pretty decent career looking back now. Yeah, I'm sure if you said, you know, 15 years ago, if you asked Alex Burroughs, he, I think, would have taken one game in the right, NHL exactly. to say I did it, and it worked out yeah. pretty darn good. Almost got to 1,000. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys. So, well, you might not have uh, always liked some of his on-ice antics, but you can't help but respect the work ethic and perseverance Alex Burroughs brought to the rink during his NHL career, which officially came to a close today. Burroughs is retiring after 13 NHL seasons, 11 and a half of them with the Canucks. He played some 240 games in the minors before being called up back in 05-06, and he never went back. He was gritty. He had decent hands, a very high hockey IQ, and of course, he played on the edge and often crossed the line, but he scored some of the biggest goals in Canucks playoff history in that 2011 run. And at age 37, felt it was time to go, and he did a pretty mean Mark Crawford impression as well back in the day. He will join the AHL's Laval Rocket as an assistant coach, and I think he will be a good coach. He really sees the game well, and uh, wanted to be a broadcaster, he said, back in the day. But then, then he played 900 games and made $4 million a year and thought that was better. Uh, it's down to six teams at Russia 2018. All six are from Europe. The last two from South America went down in the quarterfinals today. Uruguay losing to France is not a shock, but Brazil is always expected to win. But Belgium had different ideas, and they were the better side, taking down Neymar and the Brazilians 2-1. Brazil ranked number two in the world, Belgium number three. Belgium leading the World Cup in goals scored with 12 in four matches and didn't take long to add another off the corner kick. It's an own goal. Fernandino getting the elbow and shoulder at the wrong angle, puts it in his own net, 1-0 Belgium. First time in nearly a year the Brazil, Brazilians had trailed in an international match and it got worse. This is brilliant. The Man City man, Kevin De Bruyne, a guided missile from the top of the 18-yard box. 2-0 Belgium at the half. Brazil in serious trouble. But they did get one back in the 76th. Renato Augusto with the header past Thibaut Courtois. That made it 2-1. Brazil, of course, pressing for the equalizer. The best chance, Neymar thumps one, but Courtois tips it over the bar, and Belgium, for just the second time in their history, are headed to the World Cup semifinals as they beat Brazil 2-1. In the other quarter today, Uruguay, France, Uruguay without that man, Edinson Cavani, who had scored three goals in the World Cup. He had a calf injury, France strike first, off the free kick. Raphael Varane with the perfect header to the corner. Came out of nowhere. That's a brilliant play there. 1-0 France. 
Uruguay with an immediate response. Similar set piece to the French. They just scored on this one. Also executed beautifully, but what a save by Hugo Lloris off Kacheris. Full stretch. Saved a goal for sure. 1-0 at the half. Early second, Antoine Griezmann. This is a pretty routine shot, but Uruguay's keeper, Fernando Muslera, misplays it. Uruguay can't recover from that huge mistake. France, well-deserved, are through to the semis. They'll play Belgium on Tuesday after the 2-0 victory over Uruguay. England plays Sweden tomorrow, Russia, Croatia, as they play their quarterfinals as well. Wimbledon today, men's third round. Milos Raonic, the only Canadian left in singles, taking on Austrian Denis Novak, opening set. Milos got broken early, but comes back in at the net. At six foot five, he is a tough guy to lob over. Smashes home the point, took the opening set in a tie break. Novak took the second set, third set. Milos doing what Milos does, hammer aces. 24 to that point, not even through three sets. This match suspended due to darkness with Raonic up 6-5 in the third. They will resume tomorrow morning. On the ladies' side, Serena Williams still on the comeback trail since becoming a mom, looking for her eighth Wimbledon crown. Got pushed a little bit today by Francis Kristina Mladenovic. Serena always plays big on the big points. Big forehand winner there, takes the opening set 7-5 and then a match point. Serena finishing strong with the ace as she pursues Grand Slam number 24. She's on to the fourth round at Wimbledon, but Sister Venus lost her match in three sets. The Lions are in Winnipeg tomorrow night, looking to get back on the winning track after losing in Edmonton last week. The offense has preached ball control, but you do need big plays in the CFL to win, and so far through two games, we haven't seen many of those. They're out there for us. Uh, we just got to hit them. Got to make sure that uh, we make them count when we get the opportunities, and uh, those will come. Uh, I'm confident about that. I'm confident about our guys making plays. We've got, uh, you know, very talented guys. You've seen them over the years. Uh, All-star guys, and, and uh, you know, those plays are going to come. All right, back to hockey. Last night, if you missed this, the Canuck prospects, who we've profiled this week, uh, played their little... Uh, inter-squad game yesterday at Rogers and uh, that's a great goal there by the former Kelowna Rocket Cole Lynn. Quinn Hughes, who everyone wants to join the team this year, their first rounder. Check out those moves in the shootout. They would love to have him sign a contract. That'll be the big news of the summer if they can get him to play. Sounds like he wants to play. Uh, if not, he'll go back to college, but I think he's ready to go. He looked great, and he can sure skate. Yeah, that was a fun night last night watching some of the kids flying around. and. Yeah, well, they look good against each other. Oh, sure, yeah. Wide right open, yes. defense. Yeah, game. that'd be nice to see hockey exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, a little uh, ice hockey and midsummer heat. Mm. All right. Coming up on ET Canada, a health update from Elvis Costello as he cancels his summer tour. Plus the top music contenders in the 2018 battle for Song of the Summer. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you. All right, well, it might not be on the scale of the Field of Dreams, but an Edmonton man's creation is starting to get some international attention. That's right, he built it, and the attention has definitely come. Global's Tom Vernon has the story. In baseball, the stadiums can be as iconic as the teams that play in them. The mystique of Fenway Park, the majestic Yankee Stadium. And then there's the home of the Clutchers. This, this is Clutchers Field. It's an original creation. Let's call it a passion for Stephen Schapansky. He began building the Lego Park in the fall of 2013. It took several months to complete and has undergone a couple of renovations since, each rebuild adding even more detail. There's restaurants on the upper deck uh, on both sides. There's a, uh, a grand concourse. 
in here with escalators up to the uh, the main concourse there where the private suites are. The fan deck is is a new addition with uh, with bars and uh, and sort of a low seating area. There's a game going on: the clutchers versus the stackers. There are television cameras, a broadcast crew, and even outfield dimensions. 322 to left and 329 to right, if you were wondering. The stadium has been a staple of Steven's Twitter account. He's tweeted out play-by-play for World Series games, and just this week, an article about it appeared on MLB's webpage. I'd renovated it over the past three months and tweeted about it and tagged Major League Baseball in one of the tweets, and now it's, it's blown up again, so this thing has staying power. This is just the latest project in a lifelong love of Lego. Steven got his first set when he was three. His apartment is filled with completed pieces, including, yes, the Millennium Falcon. That's a pretty hefty lead-off. I'm surprised he doesn't take him off. But Clutcher's Field is the centerpiece, the massive project that has taken so much of his time, and Lord knows how many little bricks. I have no idea how many pieces are in here. It's probably best not to think about it. Tom Vernon, Global News. It's impressive. He's got a lot of patience dealing with all those little parts. And a lot of passion. <laughs> a lot, a lot I was going to say that. A lot of passion. <laughs> yeah, it's his love. All right, let's go back down to the Peony Prize home for one last time with Christy. Thanks to you guys. Well, it's been a spectacular uncorked event. The Inniskillen wine tasting spectacular. This is the Pinot Grigio. And this year's Peony Prize home is stunning. My favorite part is the two massive patios, each with their own fireplace, and one of them an uncovered area with a TV. So come check it out this year. I'll throw it back to you guys. Great evening. Okay, nice. I'm with you, Christy. Where's I like my the patio. Wine, the yeah. wine glass. Where is that? That's right. <laughs> Getting Not in the studio. Yeah. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend.